We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Coming up, the latest episode of the KCSN Draft Show, getting Chiefs Kingdom ready for the 2023 NFL Draft. Hosted right here in Kansas City with the best analysis, interviews, and content you can find to stay up to date and in the know. With that said, let's begin the show. It's the KCSN Draft Show presented by Miller Lights. Eric Galco, director of the East-West Shrine Bowl. Hi, what's good? We're in draft season, man. We're in oh. April. We, we made it. We made it. Oh. Wait, we just got here? We just got to draft season? Are we sure? That's what it feels like a little bit, if I'm being honest. Hi, Maddie Lane. Oh, you know, I'm hanging out. I, I've been in draft season for about 11 and a half months now, so so we're ready. We're ready to go. We're uh, we we better be in draft season because the KCS and draft guide is available. Uh, it releases today. Now? You're listening to this on Wednesday. Yes, uh, big day for all of us, obviously. At KC Sports Network, the draft guide is out. Link is in the description of the show. You get it for $12.99. You get 300 play plus pages of chief specific content. You get three months of the KCSN Substack, all that good stuff. The book is out. Big day for all of us. Let's party, uh, by talking about the offensive line. Uh, we're going to do the entirety of the offensive to- uh, offensive line, interior uh, and exterior, as we were joking earlier, <laughs> to start the show. But uh, all interiors, all interiors will be covered today, as they should. And I'm just gonna, I'm going to start with this. Uh, we, you know, this is one of the conversations we typically like to start with the show. We'll start with the tackles. Uh, Galco, how many tackles do you think wind up going in the first round of this draft? I was literally writing down and counting the tackles as you were saying, because I saw where you were going. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be quite a bit. And I think it's it's because, A, you know, what was the draft with Tristan Wirfs and Mackay back to where, like, four that went and, like, five or six yeah. picks? That was, like, two years ago. I think we'll see a very similar run to that. And then I think, as always, we've said a couple times now with other positions, back in around one, our playoff teams, once in a while they can use a skill guy, right? Once in a while it's a team that shouldn't be there because of a trade and they may be are the wild card, but it's usually O-line and DBs, right? Every playoff team, I wish I had one more O-line and one more DB. So I think we'll see a 4-5 four, four go with 4-pick 2021, and then maybe one or two sneak in the back in a round one as well, just because those guys are still valuable. It's not a very strong offensive type of class, especially after round one, which I think drives from that too. So to give you a number, 
I think the number I'd say is six, six and a half, seven, somewhere in that range. But it's going to be I probably one more than people are thinking right now. Hmm. And so that draft you were referencing was the 2020 draft. And yeah, you had yeah. what four of them went in the top 13. And then you had Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson slip into the middle in the last part, latter part of round ones. And, you know, maybe those teams would maybe want those picks back. I don't know. That's a different discussion for a different day. But that's what happens when you're not going to have the sh- deepest, I think, ta- tackle class. I don't know. I agree it's not overly strong, but the top guys are still pretty good. I think you feel right. very fine if you come out with the Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Skaronsky, so on and so forth. It's just after round one, you don't have any confidence that those guys are taken. So, yeah, I think you might see DeWan. I, mean, I don't want to name everybody, so we're going to get to it with DeWan Jones, Anton Harris. You might see some guys slide into the back of round one that you don't feel as strongly about, and other years might be day two picks just because of what this class looks like and how early the tackles will come off the board. So, Galco, I know we've had conversations not on this show before, and I know you're a big fan of Paris Johnson Jr. Do you think he's OT1 yeah. in this class still? Yeah, no, I think he's for me. It's it, it's a gap after him, and I think he's the clear guy. I think he's incredibly athletic, um, maturity, all the stuff off the field. You know, usually offensive linemen are pretty easygoing guys when they're not. I think for most teams, it should be a red flag. <laughs> I think for guys like Paris, when they're like above and beyond, like Paris has the personality and just the mental makeup that he could be any position to be impressive that spot too. So I think he's. I'd be surprised if he wasn't the first offensive lineman of the board. In fact, I think someone will trade up into the top ten to go get him. I think that's how good he is. Wow. Now, if you drafted him, would you have him lined up with his back to the defense and 180 into his pass set? And jump. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I'd have him jump <laughs> past that and get 15 yards of depth straight back. And then I'd have him do that too, just to bring press too. Yeah. So it's fair, I think, and fun to critique that. But also, when you watch that, like it just shows the cases a lot of athleticism. And like, yes, you want to see a guy at his pro day take some normal pass sets and do some stuff that might relate to the field. But I love seeing that because, like, how many other offensive tackles can look like that? Absolutely, man. I, I, hot take, like, a lot of workouts are kind of just like, whatever, man. Like, everyone watched, like, oh, look how smooth he looks. And, like, no, I mean, I always joke with my staff, like, if you just say hip fluidity, like, it's just a made-up term, I feel like. No one knows really what it means, but we just say it, right? But I think, like, I don't know, like, I remember, what, what like, this is probably 10 years ago, Jerron Gilbert from San Jose State jumped out of a pool and went third <laughs> yeah. round because of it. But I was like, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I don't want to screw with that kind of guy, so... More, more like, uh, what's what's a TV show, whatever that was, too. But more like unbelievable videos of these guys doing athletic feats, more than just like doing kick slides and running the hoop drill. Who cares? Right. Do some backflips and stuff. Yes, please. Uh, the, hey, the Richardson out there doing his gymnastics. Exactly. Um, so okay, I agree with you. I think Paris Johnson has separated himself in the the. I don't even say like media's eye, just like in the NFL's eye. He's probably going to be the first tackle taken. I think that's a pretty safe bet now. I think the conversation really begins kind of after that because I think Peter Skaronsky is a guy that a lot of people had pegged as the best tackle, but then you start looking at the arm length, and then you you know once you know the arm length, you watch the film, and you're like, oh, I think I see it showing up here, and I like you start looking for it at times where it shows up, and I think you can find some if you hunt it down. Broderick Jones doesn't out of Georgia doesn't have a ton of experience playing left tackle. He didn't start that many games, so he's still still developing some of his technique. But the raw athleticism is there. I think Darnell Wright maybe has had the best process of all these tackles. So who's next for you after Paris Johnson? Where do you go after him? Yeah, I, I think it's I think Darnell Wright is a guy that's certainly been helped by the process. I I, I do think that people in the media have kind of overcorrected a little bit where he's not going to be a top 10, 12, 15 pick. But I think teams went from a guy that was a, you know, early day three, late day two guy, early part of the season going into the year, that transition into a first round pick. Um 
at worst case back in a round one, but I think he's a guy that has a right tackle plug and play. He's a guy you want to like. I think Roderick Jones has a ton of talent and ton of upside. Um, I have not had a chance to speak to Broderick, so that's with less experience, you want to make sure that, that the character is really, really there. But talent-wise, he's the next guy to pair of shots for me just because he's so impressive. And then on the safer route, Peter Skaronsky, maybe the arm length. I was actually on a, on a Bears uh, radio show a couple weeks back, and they were asking about Skaronsky because obviously he's like the most mocked Bear player of all time. And, and they were like, why does arm length matter? And arm length doesn't matter in terms of play-to-play what it does is it minimizes risk if you have longer arms. You can make more mistakes if you have longer arms, and that's what it does. Just like a quarterback that has a stronger arm, you can be later on a read and still make the throw, and that's what Anthony Richardson has that Brock Purdy has, but Brock Purdy is way more accurate, way more on time, way more efficient. I take Brock Purdy right now, and same for an offensive tackle. Like I take a lot of guys with longer arms, but Skronsky is so impressive play-to-play that I think he's a guy at tackle, and I think a lot of teams feel that Skaronsky, worst case, is a really good guard. And then the one guy you had mentioned, we have, we'll go to him in a second, I'm sure, because I know he's been mocking the Chiefs in the past. I don't think he'll be there, but Anton Harrison is someone that I think media still hasn't caught up with yet of how early he's going to go. I'll be very, very surprised if Anton Harrison leaves the top 20 overall picks in this draft. I think he's OT3 for us right now, if I remember That's about correctly. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He's OT3. We have Skaronsky as a guard. That, that That's why. Mm-hmm. But still, he, yeah. he's still right there in the 4-3 and what's right. the difference, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna list off I'm gonna reel off these tackles real quick. Yeah. Uh going round one. Paris Johnson Jr., Broderick Jones, Anton Harrison, Darnell Wright, uh, Peter Skronsky, Dewan Jones. Is that the six that go in the first round, we think? If if we're if we're if we're getting six in there? Yeah, I think he's I think he's definitely a play. I think uh Jalen Duncan of Maryland could be a guy that's in play as well, too. Um but that sounds like the six. That would be it'd, be it'd be those five, and then it'd be one more that slides in. So that's that, I'm I'm glad you went to Jalen Duncan. I'm kind of yeah. fascinated by him because I want to. I, I think one of the perspectives is like, okay, you're gonna get a bunch in the first round. Jalen Duncan, how long do we think he has to wait to hear his name called if it's not him in the first round? Or a, a Dewan Jones, OT seven, offensive tackle seven. Like, how early we think those guys are called? Yeah, and you know what's crazy too? I think it's not going to be that long in the draft either. But but the funny part is I'm talking with teams is that there's not enough to offensive tackles that that most teams have as draftable. We'll get the later on guys later on that then they need for the draft, right? Every year there's usually a quota of offensive tackles, like a minimum and, a, and like usually a, a historic high. And we're like barely hitting those minimums at offensive tackle, which I think is going to tell teams to say, hey, you know what? I, I've got to adjust my draft where these meetings are right now in early April to kind of finish the draft board, but really behind the scenes, after those meetings are done, head coach, GM, other executives are saying, all right, we finished this position group, but now let's say, where does next year's class look like? Where does our roster look like? And then what does the rest of the draft look like? I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what? Even though we think Dewan Jones, Jalen Duncan, Blake Freeland, even guys like Carter Warren, who's been hurt, but still really talented, we may think they're late day two, early day three fringe starters, but we got to get those guys earlier because there's not going to be a guy, even a swing tackle around four or five. That doesn't really exist this year at, at that high level. And so when you have a class, I mean, kind of like that, that is a little bit lighter on tackles, a lot lighter on tackles than normal, what do you do yeah. with guys like a Tyler Steen or a Matthew Bergeron, who some people have talked about as guards? Do you think that that increases their chances to get tried out, get drafted and given, given a shot at tackle? Or do you think most teams are still going to stand pat and kind of dig their heels and say, no, we thought this guy was a guard. We're going to treat him as such. 
No, for sure. I mean, I, I think the philosophy of most teams, except for some teams that have really, really strong O-line coach presence who kind of have really have to find looks at guys, is most teams, if you can't play tackle, can you play center? If you can't play center, okay, you'll play guard. And I think most teams have that mindset. And I think especially in this class, hey, you know what, Bergeron might be a guard for us. But I think if a team is getting Matt Bergeron on day two, especially if it's mid-day two or early day two, and they're taking him at guard, that's a heck of a luxury in this draft class. I think most teams are going to want that tackle opportunity for a guy like him. You don't want to reach for a tackle necessarily and say, hey, I'm not sure Matt Bergeron myself is a is a plug-and-play starter to be a mid-to-early round two pick, but he's a really good football player, and if, I'm, if I need a corner and a tackle, I'll take the tackle first and hope I get lucky at corner as an example. But I think to your answer to your question, all these guys will get tried to tackle first and foremost before that transition to guard. I think Duncan, Steen, um, you mentioned Bergeron. Like, I think all three of those guys might be better off at tackle, but they're going to get every single chance at guard for sure. I'm sorry, tackle for sure. I I kind of wonder too. Like you're you're you know you're saying, hey, we think six talk tackles are going off. You can debate you know, maybe maybe a, a one or two of the merits of them going that late potentially. But this weirdness of this draft, it kind of feels like it's like all over the map. Where you know, there's a lot of people said, hey, these people's boards might look a lot different after you get past ten. And I wonder if it's just kind of the same thing. Like there's going to be some surprises in round two, in day two at the tackle spot that we're not thinking of right now because of just varying preferences and stuff like that. So do you you think there's some surprise names at the tackle position that could wind up going on day two? Yeah, I I mean, I mentioned one Carter Warren. I think he's someone that almost came out last year, would have been a top 100 pick a year ago. He played better this year, I thought. Got hurt towards the end of the year. Tried to recover and hustle up for the Shrine Bowl. Wasn't able to get healthy. And then, you know, just interviewed. He kind of got ruled out the day of the Shrine Bowl practices starting. And then um, you know, kind of started getting cleared up the rest of the draft process. But I think he's a guy that we've forgotten about because usually those guys that stay an extra year or then something happens or they get hurt, we kind of forget about them. But yeah, if he ends up being a, a, a mid, you know, mid to late day two pick or even round, like firm round two pick, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So him, I mentioned Freeland, Jalen Duncan, a lot of those guys, like I don't think any of those guys are going to escape the early part of round three just because there's a huge scarcity at that spot. It's, we gotta, we gotta, we're talking about guys that might sneak into the top, you know, 100 here. So I got to bring up yeah. one of my, one of my guys in this draft, uh, Nick Saldaveri out of Old Dominion. Uh, yeah. been on him for a while, and we were kind of talking about these guys that have the versatility to play inside, outside, and stuff. And like, I think that's the safety net, and something that I really like about him is I have no doubt that he can come in and play guard. I don't know why you, if he can snap the ball. Obviously, I haven't seen him attempt to snap the ball, but if he can snap the ball, why he couldn't play center? So here's the guy that I'm a lot higher on, I think, than a lot of other people. And when you start looking through his tackle class, he's a guy like, I don't necessarily think he's going to go in the top 100, but if he does, I'm not completely surprised by it because of that versatility. And if you go and look at the physical traits, I'm not ready to rule him out being able to play an offensive tackle in the NFL. He has the size, all the measurables you want. I just think he needs a little bit of work or anything like that. So where do you feel about him kind of maybe sneaking into the back of day two? I'll tell you, I think a lot of teams um, think he could play center. Um, I know a couple teams that have him on their board as a center. Now, granted, it's actually become a, a, a really strong center class just because a lot of guys have shown that. Um, guys like Cedric Van Pran would have been the first center taken. He went back to school. So I think the top end is not like an obvious first-round guy, although I wouldn't be surprised if one guy was one of those surprise guys in, in late round one that can play center. But I think, you know, Nick Saldaveri or um, the Trumbull, Jordan McFadden, who played tackle at Clemson, he was played uh, tackle and guard. Now he's going to play center. John Gaines, UCLA, another guard going to center too. So I think a lot of these guys are not necessarily tackles, but guys like Salvaberry, a lot of teams want to have these guys play play center first. Well, I think Salvaberry will be drafted as a center, but 
to your point, I think if he goes early day three, I'm sorry, early round three, and some teams like, you know what, let's just make sure he can't play tackle before going to center, but I think it could be up to the center, not as a tackle. Andy X seems like a guy that would really like Nick Saldaveri here in Kansas City just because of that positional versatility. He'd probably give yep. him a chance to try to play tackle and hold up out there before he kicks him inside. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the fastest-growing sports media network in Kansas City, KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kansas City, the NFL draft is almost here. It's a fantastic time for our city Make sure you're staying locked in to us here at KC Sports Network because we've got the draft covered. Chiefs have 10 picks. We'll see how many they actually use, but there's one selection that every football fan can share, and that's an ice-cold Miller Lite. The players change, the coaches change, the rules change, but Miller Lite is still the perfect beer for draft time, game time, and everything in between. Personally, when I want a beer with some flavor but also is light, I won't and won't make me feel like crap. Miller Lite has been a go-to. Light on calories, not tastes. What's the point of drinking beer if you can't taste it? Uh, That is Miller Lite. Great taste. 96 calories to get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com slash KCSN, or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per ounce. Probably use a few right now, I'm sure, uh, as we're continuing to go through this offensive line. I think this offensive line group has had a few Miller lights as well in their days. Okay, so let's, Galco, let's, I want to hear from you about some, you know, guys that are going to surprise, like, you know, maybe go a little bit earlier than we're anticipating all, you know, at the tackle spot, Um, you know, day one, day, it doesn't have to necessarily be day two now, day three, you know, just some guys that, you know, you're, you're well connected. You're hearing some opinions on some guys. Um, Who's the process been good for, for some of the guys like at the Shrine Bowl? Yeah. Well, I think, I think one guy out of the Shrine Bowl who I think 
teams bring up quite a bit is Tyler Steen. You kind of mentioned him earlier, Matt, but I think he's he's a guy that teams kind of always bring up. Again, a high-character guy, played at Bama, kind of underappreciated, transferred from Vanderbilt, so kind of a little bit on the radar compared to other tackles at Alabama. I'm not sure he's a plug-and-play NFL starter, but I think for most teams, he, he's pretty damn close. Um, at the Shrine Bowl-wise, we, we had – bunch of good tackles i think a bunch of really long impressive guys um obviously carter warren was was one i think be the first one draft he just couldn't get cleared for the shrine bowl but athletic wise john ajuku earl bostic from boise state and kansas respectfully they'll both be draft picks they're kind of both developmental offensive tackles dalton wagner is six eight massive human being he'll be a guy that's a right tackle in the nfl they'd probably be a starter unlike not unlike dan skipper played mm. league for 10 years as a really tall offensive tackle but one guy's had an incredible process and i you know i'll ask our buddy um kent over at a, a math bomb but uh trevor reed of louisville had one of if not the most athletic pro day combine performances in an offensive tackle history especially as a guard which i think is what teams think he might be being that he's a little shorter six four and arm length is good not great for that spot either but i think teams are gonna try a lot of tackle because he's so athletic but he's a guy that's gone from a very intriguing, former freaks list, former five-star Juco guy, intro guy that I think teams have started to see mature and kind of figure out some things in the position uh, at the Shrine Bowl and during the draft process that, hey, when you're that big and you run a four nine forty and you jump a vert and a broad like he did with three cones, a short shuttle, it's all there, especially as a guard too. I think he's he's a, as a late day three tackle and maybe an early day three guard. I think he'll go somewhere on mid to early day three because he's so damn athletic. Two of the guys that you mentioned there were kind of in my notes from when we were down there at the yeah. Shrine Bowl was Ojuku out of Boise State and then Trevor Reed. And yeah. Reed I had seen going into it, so I was already kind of on the lookout for him, and I was just as impressed there as I was watching the film. But I hadn't watched Ojuku until we got down there, and just his movement and the way he was able to use his length, it was just something that kind of stood out there compared to some of the other guys. You guys had really good pass rushers down there, and he was yeah. able, I thought, to handle them relatively well compared to a lot of the other guys when you're dealing with one-on-one. So... I'm glad you mentioned those two. I want to ask you about a guy. I don't think he went to an uh, an All Star game. Maybe he did. I just missed it. But Jake Witt out of Northern Michigan, and nobody yeah. say know anything about him until yeah. you come out of the uh, pro day and he blew it up. So, like, did you have you got to see anything about Jake Witt? Anymore? Yeah, no, I I knew I got tipped off on Jake by an area scout uh, preseason, and just that he's got to add weight. He's going to continue to add weight. He was lighter in college. Well, he's got to keep adding weight, but I, I had gotten tipped off by some of the athletic numbers. Obviously I didn't know a, they'd be that impressive and B it's hard to bank on something like that. And usually, Hey, my philosophy has always been at the shrine bowl. Like I just want the best athletes here as we can, right? Especially when guys more late round picks, like give me Trevor Reed every day. Cause I'll, that guy has a chance to make it in the NFL for a long, long time. We've had good success at that having great players there. But, but Jake was a guy that was certainly on our radar up until the very end. I think just, He's going to be a P-Squad guy. I'm not sure he gets picked because of that because, hey, he's he's going to be a guy you have to redshirt at least one year or maybe two years. But, man, if you find a guy on P-Squad, the way NFL contracts work, basically if you find a guy on P-Squad becomes a roster player, you've got him for like four years minimum right after that. So you kind of really control those guys. So developing a guy like Jake Wood on a P-Squad is, is really valuable too. But he's he's one of the more intriguing, I would say unlikely, if not very unlikely, to be drafted. But a guy that's a good call by you because I think some smart teams gonna take him on a P squad or say, hey, we hope he doesn't get picked, or if he does, late seventh round to say, hey, we got a guy that we can develop for two years and see how he does. But he's gonna be some good offensive line coach's favorite project for the next year and a half. Hey, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're watching, and appreciate everybody that's hanging out watching this uh, or listening to this. Make sure you are following everything going on on KC Sports Network. We've got plenty going here. Now it's time to move to the interior offensive line.
So we talked about the tackles. Let's talk about the interior guys. Same question off the top. How many interior offensive line we think are going off the board in this draft, Galco? In the first round? First round. Yeah, I, I should probably clarify. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the whole draft, uh, it's hard enough for the kind of top. Well, we're yeah, Allie goes up. Allie goes up. Carry the one. Uh, uh, I'm not going to include Peter Skaronsky. I know you guys have him in the draft. Got as a guard. I'll kind of exclude him because we count on him for the tackles. Yeah. I'm going to say just one. Um, I think there's a chance for a second. Uh, Luke Weipler at Ohio State um, is a guy that I think has a little more NFL interest than people realize right now. I don't think Joe Chipman does, but he's also a wild card just because even off into your offensive line, not as deep. But one, Osiris Torrance, who I think is a pretty damn special prospect in this draft. I remember we were talking a few weeks ago and you said you just how much you love Osiris Torrance. Yeah. Like you yeah. super highly regarded for you personally and in, in your team doing their work. What is it what is it about Osiris Torrance that makes him a special prospect in your eyes? You know, I think first off he he's an athletic guard. He's a guard only, which I think helps the evaluation because we talked earlier about tackles to play center and you kind of get lost a little bit. It's like, all right, what is this guy if he's not this? Like Osiris is a guard, that's it. Can play both sides, but a plug and play NFL guard, but he's athletic for that spot, can really bend and sink. I've seen him adjust off balance left to right in the A gap, help the center out to reach on a blitzer. But man, he just dominated his whole college career. He was a guy that I thought should have came out, what, a year ago at Louisiana and just be a top two round pick a year ago because I thought he just dominated in an NFL type way, right? Not just a guy who finishes the ground for fun against, you know, 260 pound defensive tackles, defensive ends. Like this is a guy who would finish with control, with patience, with the hand strength, the violence, but also the being under control. I remember a guy, Louisiana Lafayette, Kevin Dotson, went up being, I think, a fourth round pick. Like those two guys dominated in similar ways but osiris being so much more athletic with it was i think so impressive so osiris the guy that i think is a plug-and-play nfl starter for the next 10 years uh, again i think i said to you guys before i think he's a notch down from zach martin as a prospect on him almost a decade ago i think he's a notch down and again a multi-time pro bowler for sure well i mean i mean he's huge for a guard six foot five three thirty and like 34 right. jobs are just under 30 like, that's a massive guard and we're talking about the right. nfl nowadays where Everyone kind of shifted to spreading it out outside zone. We're going to stretch everybody out, but now there's a little bit of a swing back the other way. And not that Torrance can't go play in any scheme. I'm not saying that. It's just if you give me the option to get a 330 pound guard that can move a little bit and then also get a run duo or power like right behind him, that's pretty fun. So like I, I think he's for me, he's clearly the best interior offensive lineman as well from this class. The guys, the other two guys you see a lot pop up in uh, round one are Steve Avila out of TCU, and then a lot of John Michael Schmidt, a different center has gotten some hype as a potential round one pick. I'm, I don't have him there. You gave me that little side eye. I didn't say I put him there, Galgo. I'm just saying he's another name that pops up in round one. So what are, do we think either one of those guys can even make a push towards the end of it? I don't think so, no. I, I like John Michael Schmitz. I think he's a little more scheme-specific. I'd be surprised if a guy like him goes as early. But I guess I wouldn't rule it out. Again, these are playoff teams, and if you're a team that's a center away, you think you're a center away, then forget your draft board. Just get that guy in round one if you can get him too. But um, I, I think they're again. I think they'll be. I would say the over under is one and a half at an inter offensive line too, but but probably more juice on on the over half and the under. Put it that way, because I think there'll be one surprise guy there on the offensive line. I think Steve Avila, very nice player. I think he's NFL offensive guard who could play center. I think some teams I know have him as kind of a worst case scenario. He's a great backup at both spots or all three spots in the interior. Maybe he's a guy can start first as well too, but. Um, again, I don't think teams are as in love with this interior offensive line class as 
as I thought they would be in the past too. But those are two guys that, again, I'd be surprised if they were late round one. And the crazy thing is I think definitely could be considered round one, but we forget every year that round two is like almost as crazy as round one because teams have different needs, but they miss on a round one. And a guy that almost goes late one goes late two sometimes. So don't be surprised if guys like Weipler or Tipman or John Michael Schmitz or Steve Avila are considered late round one. And I'm going mid to late round two as well. That's what I'm going to cut you off real quick, Kent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got one more thing here. The guy said before you move off of him, Tipman, I, Tippmann's a guy that I actually really oh. like. And would, I think you look at the way the center positions kind of change in the NFL, you have your best centers now, not all of them, but a lot of them are guys that you can kind of run your running game through. It's can you find a way to weaponize your center and get them on the move. And when I watch Tippmann, that's what I see. I see a center that I think you can put out there in a wide zone scheme. You can ask him to go pull a little bit and kind of be that key, the linchpin to your run game. I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more hype for him going into this because usually super athletic centers that have proven they can get out on the move and have success running behind them kind of get propped up in these kind of process. So I'm a little, I've been a little surprised that he hasn't gotten more hype as we lead up to the draft. I, I don't disagree with you. I think the everyone's looking for centers and for tackles who can allow you to play five-man protection. And I think it's the first front former teams that I want to have, right? Hey, I'm playing my running back or tight end, not chip and get downfield again, an extra route runner. But that takes length at center, guard, and tackle, right, to prevent the A-gap, B-gap blitzes, and as well as athleticism and space in the run game to make sure you're not just hamstring yourself with fewer tight ends out there. But, no, again, I think Tipman. again, I think it's a little bit of pick your flavor. I like, the, I like the Ohio State guy. Some teams like Tipman, Some teams like John Michael Schmitz. I think they're they're all very different, right? I think John Michael Schmitz is not really at all like Joe Tipman. Um, they can move pretty well, but they're got a different size, different play styles as well, too. So, again, I, I lead towards Ohio State, Luke Weipler, um, with Tipman being the number two guy as well, too. But I think I think Tipman's a pretty damn intriguing center that I think if he works out, again, I thought he was going to stay there year in college, but he had to come out early. So I think teams a little bit wanted to see a little bit more of him, but but certainly a really dynamic talent at center, which is pretty hard to find. I have some day two, three questions on the interior offensive line I'm going to ask right after this. You're listening to the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas City, KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks for watching. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Appreciate everybody that is hanging out. Uh, all your draft content you'll ever need when it's as it relates to the Chiefs uh, is is here at KC Sports Network. So make sure you're following everything we've got going on. Speaking of the Chiefs being Chiefs specific, uh, being KC specific here, you know the the Chiefs kind of have a decent interior offensive line. Uh, some would say the best interior offensive line in football. I, you know, I might be a little biased, but I look at, you know, 
I asked the question about, you know, interior linemen in round one. We're obviously like, I, I wish six guys would fall off the board in, along the interior in round one. But I want to expand that to round two because I think those first two picks are going to be very interesting for the Chiefs. I would be very surprised if they were to take an interior offensive lineman. You know, we we, we, we got Torrance, Avila, Malk, Cody Malk, Mike, John Michael Schmitz, Tittman, Weipler. That's six there. Are all six of those guys off the board before the Chiefs are picking at 63, do we think? Uh, I don't, I'm not positive Cody Mock is. Okay. In fact, I don't, I don't think he's picked at that point. I think that's going to be more of a late day two kind of guy. Just talking with, with teams. I think some teams like him. I think he's a little more of a, uh, I think teams are going to figure out where he's going to play in the NFL, right? I think he's shown he could play tackle, but teams kind of have those question marks. I know he did some center at, at the senior bowl and, and that was okay, but, but not great struggle there a little bit too. So I think teams appreciate the desire to be versatile, but. Again, I always go back to like, all right, what's going to do with me tomorrow? I'm not sure NFL teams you Cody Mock as a guy that can help us start any point tomorrow in the NFL too. So he's the one guy I think will be there if not fall past him as well. I want to know from you, like any of those, like is there any other guys that might be gone in round two before the Chiefs are picking though? Like is there anybody that you see could potentially be along the interior? Uh, Brad Daniels of Utah. Um, he's a guard tackle, but I think he's mostly by teams a guard. I think he'll be He'll be gone by that point as well, too. Um, those are the only guys I think will be interior guys definitely gone by pick 64. I think you know, it's been interesting to see, Galco, like there's been get, there's there's been some love recently for Chandler Zavala out of North Carolina State. It seems like people are uh, hyped. Out of nowhere. Out of, Nobody it, knew it was coming, right, Galco? Yeah, I, mean, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it's just like there's, less, there's a lot of love for him, and yeah. I just – you know, you're you're you've got pretty good knowledge of Chandler Zavala a little bit. What do you think about him? Yeah, man, I think it's been it's been awesome. Um, you know, him and and a non interior offensive lineman Kobe Turner have gotten a lot of attention leading up to the draft, which is much deserved. Um, and I'm super happy for those guys because I kind of told those guys not getting a combine invite. I told a lot of guys, but especially those were two of probably the four or five I talked to and actually had a call with them like, hey, don't worry about this. I know the teams that agree with me and and like you this way and the draft's crazy, but like, just keep your head down and keep moving forward. I think Chandler never wavered on that. He's a guy that came from a small school up to NC State, and I I know that he recognized a year ago that like, oh, I can play with these big guys. Like, I think he that he had that moment really early on, and it's really hard to go from D two FCS to a Power Five school. We know the guys that make it. I promise you, there's like ninety percent of guys that just never play again, um, and it's just really hard to kind of go from those smaller schools to play up. But I think Chandler realized he could do that right away, but. The rare trait that he, I think that's what makes him a really safe NFL offensive lineman. What makes him a top 100 pick, which I think he will go there and be the highest drafted non combine guy in the last five, six years, is because he's so damn athletic. I think scouts just missed. I think scouts just didn't realize how impressive he was in space a year ago and didn't have vindication coming into the year, too. And we were surprised, and I was surprised. He was, again, like Kobe Turner, like a couple other guys that didn't get the NFL feedback at the highest level in terms of draft grades during early on in our process. And, you know, our first invites, I want to rely a lot on NFL teams. We do our own job, but hey, I want to make sure we have the guys that teams want to see. But as those second invites came out, we just had Chandler, Kobe, and a few other guys just screaming at us like, hey, this guy's clearly the best guy left. And Chandler proved that the Shrine Bowl dominated there, had a great pro day workout, and he's been busy AF, as the kids say, um, during this draft process after his pro day. So it's much deserved. And, and he, again, he's going to be a top 100 pick. I think he's a guy that teams are going to not want to let get to day three of the draft. 
Yeah, it, it's well-deserved. I mean, it was hard to watch an offensive line there that has a lot of guys that have been going to the draft, to the NFL and stuff, but with, without noticing him. And I know it was late, not this past season, but the year before he dealt with a little bit of a back injury or something, but I think maybe that threw some people off sure. a little bit. Great, great through the process. The other guy that I've heard seen getting a little bit more day two buzz is post-combine because of the athletic testing, John Gaines out of UCLA. He's just the other guy who seems to be getting, you know, climbing up the boards. At, you go look at, like, his mock draftable web chart, you know, it's everything besides the size stuff is at 99. You look down the comps, and it's all the who's who of all pro guards. So I think just people are latching onto that. Is that another guy that you think could go in the top 100 picks as well? Uh, I'd be, I think I'd be a little surprised just because I'm not sure he's as plug and play of a guard, but he's a center for a lot of teams. Um, and, and John is, has been one of the faces of the UCLA program for the last three years. He's the guy that goes to media day and speaks first alongside Dorian Thompson Robinson. So I think NFL teams always knew like, Hey, with this guy's the guy we love in our locker room. And they'll get like Chandler for a very different reason. Like John was always going to be a six seventh round pick because he's got the size. He's athletic enough teams knew and he's a super high character guy but in the shrine bowl he showed the ability to play center at a really high level i think teams expect him to be maybe a center first at this point and now testing the way he did i for comparisons to like a, a somewhat similar to like jason kelsey um which was a great surprising come for me but i think the short area short shuttle kind of brought teams to that kind of comparison but a guy teams think is going to be a guard slash center again i i think top 100 is is optimistic even though i, I think john is, a, is an awesome player but Again, a guy that athletic, that smart, that well-regarded by that team, like fourth, fifth round of the latest would be a great value for a guy like him. I mean, at UCLA. Yeah. yeah. I just want to be his teammate at UCLA. Antonio Mappi. Yeah. Jeez. I, just, I mean, love love watching that guy play. I mean, it's absolutely exceptional. He Maybe he needs, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight, get a little bit better shape going to the NFL, but that's an NFL team's job, right? That's part yeah. of what they have to do. But you do that, and I don't know how you don't have yourself a guy that at least sticks on your team at bare minimum for a while, but the demeanor he plays with, and for a 330-pound shorter guard, like he does a good job in short area. He covers ground. He makes all of his landmarks that he has to, and then he buries guys left and right. Like I love Mafi. I've been a little surprised, again, that he didn't get a combine invite even. That, that one took me by a surprise a little bit, and then not hearing his name much, he's a guy that I think should go is going to go a lot higher than what people are kind of anticipating right now. Yeah, it- Mafia and Zavala were two of like the four or five guys I know that were like one or two votes short from the combine. Um, so they were dead on like not, not being common advice, not because like teams hate them. It just the way it worked out this year, they didn't get that invite, which I was a pretty surprised. Well, to Mafia's credit, and again, I give a lot of credit to UCLA and their strength staff and their O-line staff. He was a nose tackle that over 400 pounds when he got there. And he, they, they said, we're not going to rush this. And they kind of made a plan for him. And he lost weight over the course of three and a half, four years on their schedule. And they've been kind of developing this outstanding offensive guard. I think Mafia's eval is pretty easy, right? He's 340 and can bend at a really high level. Like, I don't care what he does outside of that. Like, he dominates guys and impressive too. But if you're 330, you can bend. Again, sometimes scouting's not that hard. Just draft that guy and figure it out later. But he, the way he dominated the second half of the season – how impressed was of the Shrine Bowl playing both guard spots. I think some teams are going to try out center a little bit. Just again, if you can play center, that's great. But I think for the most part, he's going to be, again, similar to Zavala, one of the highest non-combine draft picks in a long time. And again, I wouldn't be surprised by late round three, but I think he's going to be somewhere on mid to early round four, just because I think teams think, hey, I'm not sure he's a plug-and-play starter. like to kind of get his body perfect before we got to have him do that. Yeah, I balled it. I think we have him top 20 somewhere in the interior offensive line group, somewhere I. I'm just eyeballing it, but yeah, feels low. Feels low. Feels low. <laughs> top top fifteen. Top top top. 
Well, top, top 19 at least. Top 19 at least. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that noted. We're just going to have to retroactively fix our grades. Yeah. Anybody that we haven't talked along the interior offensive line that you think is going to go earlier than people are expecting? Uh, Juice Scruggs. Um, Penn State. Uh, I think he, you know, we mentioned a lot of centers on this, uh, in this interior discussion, but I, I bet Juice is right alongside them, if not goes above one of those guys. And I think for a lot of teams I've talked to, like he's in that same tier, depending on your scheme. Like I know one team that has Juice above John Michael Schmitz, right? I'm not saying that's for every team or a lot of teams, right? But that's kind of where the tier he's in. And he had, um, you know, talking with scouts, thankfully matchup what I saw as well. I thought he had the best and every team I've talked to so far is that he had the best offensive line performance at the Shrine Bowl. He was offensive line number one, didn't lose a rep all week, really impressed. I talked to an area scout just earlier today about it, being like, yeah, the guy was like unbelievable. He was better than I thought he'd be. And he's had some health issues at Penn State, which maybe hurts him a little bit, but I think most of that stuff got cleared at the combine and plug and play into your offensive linemen. Again, I don't think he goes middle to late day two, but I wouldn't rule out mid to late day two. And then I think early day three, he's played guard, he's played center, um, he's been really impressive too. And then one more guy, I guess I'll name too, uh, Jordan McFadden at Clemson, um, played tackle in college, played, would have played center at the Shrine Bowl if he was healthy, had a great pro day workout, great combine performance um, in terms of interviews and all that stuff. And I think he's, he's a guy that could be a, an early day three pick as well. We, I I really enjoyed him uh, personally. Yeah. I think we might have still have him as a tackle, even though he's a little bit on the shorter side, if I remember correctly, but I could think yep. the arm, arm leg cleared to play tackle. So like, he's kind of a, he's a, a tackle kick inside the guard kind of guy, I think for us, if I remember correctly. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, those are some interesting guys there for sure. This offensive line class is going to be interesting to see where they all go. If that affects the chiefs, how it affects the chiefs draft, especially in the first two rounds, that's going to do it for the KCS and draft show. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to KC sports network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review. If you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN, covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.